Here's a story from The World. U.S. officials say August 31st is not the last call for people to leave Afghanistan. American troops will exit by then, but Secretary of State Antony Blinken said today he'll use diplomatic channels to make sure American citizens and Afghan allies will still be able to leave the country after that date. Our expectation, the expectation of the international community, is that people who want to leave Afghanistan after the U.S. military departs should be able to do so. Together, we will do everything we can to see that that expectation is met. Blinken added that Afghans who've worked for the U.S., quote, will not be forgotten, and said that the Taliban is committed to allowing flights out of the country to continue. And again, I think they have a very strong self-interest in acting with a modicum of responsibility uh, going forward. Already, though, the Taliban is telling Afghans they're not allowed to evacuate. And as the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan keeps going, Blinken warned that the threat of terrorism is rising. Yesterday, President Biden mentioned ISIS-K, an ISIS affiliate that operates in Afghanistan. Every day we're on the ground is another day we know that ISIS-K is seeking to target the airport and attack both U.S. and allied forces and innocent civilians. So, will Afghanistan become a safe haven for terrorist groups like ISIS? To discuss this, we turn to Matthew Levitt, Director of Counterterrorism and Intelligence at the Washington Institute for Near East Policy. The possibility is very strong, given that we're going to have both a weak government and a government that has close ties to elements of al-Qaeda. Add to that the fact that there is an element of ISIS, ISIS Khorasan, that is there. The Taliban don't like them. But as we're seeing with the effort to evacuate people through Kabul airport and the threats of ISIS suicide bombers coming into Kabul, the fact that the Taliban doesn't and probably won't for a very, very long time, if ever, have control over all of the city, let alone all of the country, there will be an element of a safe haven for even groups that the Taliban doesn't like to use Afghanistan as a base from which to operate and carry out terrorist attacks there or abroad. So al-Qaeda is still alive. ISIS is as well. You mentioned ISIS-K, the branch of ISIS that President Biden mentioned in his comments yesterday. ISIS-Khorasan, who are they and how are they different from ISIS in Syria and ISIS in Iraq? ISIS has branches or provinces in different places. The two most relevant for Afghanistan are ISIS Khorasan and elements of al-Qaeda in particular in in South Asia. ISIS Khorasan has not been particularly capable. It's off in Afghanistan. It was operating in a place that was a denied space, both because you had U.S. and coalition forces there and the Taliban were against them. But now the coalition is no longer there. The Taliban is not as strong and is distracted by many other things it needs to do. And so that's going to give an opportunity for even a group like ISIS-K to reorganize itself. And all it needs is some successful attack, like a suicide bombing at the gates of the airport where there's chaos and havoc to put itself back on the map. I mean, doesn't the Taliban, in order to run their new government with legitimacy, don't they need to stamp out these groups? They do, and I think they understand that. And there are reports that the Taliban is trying to prevent ISIS from being able to carry out attacks. That doesn't mean that they will be capable. So on the one side of the ledger, we have groups that even the Taliban doesn't like, but that will be able to use the relative vacuum that we're seeing in Afghanistan now to their advantage. And then even more so, those groups that the Taliban does have longstanding relationships with, like al-Qaeda, which exist across many different provinces in Afghanistan, according to the latest UN report. That is a concern that al-Qaeda, which has been comparatively quiet compared to ISIS over the past few years, 
could find an opportunity to rebuild, not only in Afghanistan, but by virtue of the perceived success of jihad in Afghanistan, getting a boost elsewhere around the world as well. I mean, I have to take a little sidebar here, Matthew, and just ask you, I mean, you've just illustrated the presence of these militant groups, these terrorists. Do you agree with the decision to leave Afghanistan fully? I think that we need a shift in how we understand what we're using our forces around the world for. We need to shift away from a Cold War mentality that it's about victory and defeat and move towards an understanding that's more about something short of war, something short of peace. In certain places, we're going to need a small number of forces to keep bad things at bay. And I think that with 2,500 U.S. forces and an equal number of NATO forces, we could have stayed with minimal risk and we could have kept things stable. That doesn't mean making Afghanistan a stable country or a Jeffersonian democracy, but we could have kept bad actors from taking over a country. I think that we would have been better off not withdrawing as we did. And I think that we would have been much better off not carrying out the decision the way it was carried out. The havoc at the airport is a crisis of our own making. So with this reality on the ground in Afghanistan and with the U.S. exit, Matthew, what intelligence will the U.S. actually have on these groups? How will Washington monitor them? With difficulty. You've heard the phrase, you know, over the horizon counterterrorism capabilities and such capabilities do exist, but they are not what you really want to be doing. When you have to fly drones from Qatar, that takes a while for that drone to get there. It's using up a lot of gas. It can't fly over the air of Afghanistan for as long. You won't have that kind of coverage that you once had. You're not going to be able to run the human sources that you did if you're not on the ground in any way the same way puts tremendous pressure on groups like the NSA, which are doing signals intelligence, and against a target that isn't using high-tech signals intelligence as much as some others. So we're not going to totally go dark, but it's gonna, the lights are going to dim in a very, very significant way. And I can tell you from my own conversations with U.S. counterterrorism officials, there's a tremendous concern that not today or tomorrow or next week, but at some point in the not-too-distant future, Someone could be planning something even against the homeland, and we won't be in a position to know about it because we've become accustomed to being able to rely on the type of collection in Afghanistan that we no longer have. Finally, Matthew, you've worked on counterterrorism efforts for years in various roles since 9-11. What have the last couple of weeks meant to you? They've been painful. I worked on 9-11 at the FBI. This feeling that 20 years have gone by and trillions of dollars and most importantly, lives lost, and we're back to a situation where the Taliban are going to control the country and where terrorist groups of different stripes are going to have relative safe haven is painful. It's also true that today is not 20 years ago, and the other counterterrorism initiatives that we've put in place over 20 years are significant. We are not as at risk of a spectacular attack like September 11th today the way we were back then. But I'm concerned about the implications of this withdrawal and the hastiness of this withdrawal and the optics of what it means for jihadist groups and other terrorist groups, right-wing extremists as well around the world, who are looking at this and saying, well, maybe America is a little bit more of a paper tiger than we thought. Matthew Levitt is the Director of Counterterrorism and Intelligence at the Washington Institute for Near East Policy. Speaking with us about security and counterterrorism in Afghanistan, Matthew, thank you very much. Always a pleasure.